Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List, a podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. And I am your host, Jake Mache. So as we record this episode, um, it is just after uh, the holiday known uh, formerly as J2, now known as J15, uh, January 15th, International Signing Day has come and gone. Uh, happy International or Happy Belated International Signing Day to you, Jake. Um, today's show, we're going to jump into a lot of um, FYPD prep. So we're going to be talking about uh, this year's class of international signees, the top tier guys. Um, and then that's going to lead us into a large conversation about first year player draft preparation. So right off the bat, um, I thought that we could actually do a little look back, do a little retrospective on some of the past uh, international signee classes and uh, look at kind of how they've ended up. Um, obviously, two major factors that impact the look back, the pandemic and that subsequent loss, minor league season. So obviously there is no 2020 class. Um, as a result, the start of the last two international signing periods got moved from that uh, previously typical June 2nd, hence J2, um, now to January 15th. So um, that's, that's you know, why we talk about the move from J2 to J15. Uh, the benefit for prospects is that it actually allows them, uh, generally speaking, to make plans with their team, actually begin a full off-season regimen, and um, often gives them a chance to um, start playing in complex leagues or the DSL um, instead of getting dropped into kind of like the middle of the season, uh, which is typically what happened previously. Um, with that being said, uh, Jake, what are your thoughts about uh, kind of J, I guess, J15 now or, or J2? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like you said, I mean, I think it could, it sets these guys up for success a little bit more from the get-go. They're not kind of jumping in in the middle of an already established season. Um, you know, like, for example, like Jerry DePoto said on his uh, radio show recently that their um, top uh, signee from the class, Felnin Celestin, is going to be sent straight to their mini camp in Arizona. Um, and he wants to also get him some exposure to some major league guys, you know, potentially get Julio Rodriguez out there. Um, and, you know, they're both from the Dominican Republic. And that's like, you talk about like the opportunity that, that presents just to kind of be around guys who are already in the org, potentially get some exposure to like some of the, you know, best players in the org right off the bat. Um, you're not trying to get acclimated to everything that's already happening. You know, everyone else is in mini camp. Everyone else is kind of prepping for the season. You could pick guys' brains. Like we're talking about like 18 year olds, potentially 16, 17 year olds, like talk like that is such a huge developmental point for them to like get off the bat and like kind of be set up that way. So, um, yeah, I like it a lot. And I think it's, you know, definitely going to help these guys out um, if it'll actually lead to like them developing quicker. I don't I don't know, but um, I think it's good for just like their mental preparation. Yeah. So with that being said, um you know, with the ages of most of these signees, we know we're talking about 16, 17 year old guys. Uh, it's going to be, you know, minimum two to three seasons before we really start to see production that we can really analyze and, and you know, talk through what it what it means and what what tools they have and how that's translating to what skills they're actually showing. Um, taking a look back, uh, I see here you have uh, a look at some of uh, MOB Pipeline's top 30 international prospects over the last couple of years. So um, go ahead and talk through the, the list that you have here on the outline. For sure. Um, 
So I wanted to take a look back because we started talking about, you know, like when these guys actually make the majors and kind of what we can expect from them. And I wanted to see how far back I had to go before I got to like a current impact major leaguer. Obviously, there's no one in 2022, but Oscar Colas is pretty close. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, 2021, there's no one. Uh, Pedro Leon probably would have been the closest if he hadn't like just gotten injured. He probably would have had a shot to make the team out of camp. But um, 2020, obviously nothing. Uh, 2019, no one, no one really close. I think Jason Dominguez might be the closest. Uh, 2018, no one currently closest is Francisco Alvarez. Um, and then 2017, if you go back to 2017, six years ago to get the first kind of like impact major leaguers. And those are Wander Franco and Julio Rodriguez. And these are also guys that are like some of the most talented prospects we've seen, Mm -hmm. like in, in a while, like these are some of the biggest young stars in the game. And it took them six years. Now, granted, that's like including the lost pandemic season. Um, you know, you know, who knows what would have happened if they would have just been able to develop normally. But still, I mean, that's like that's a long way to go. And then if you kind of go back a little further, 2016, Luis Robert, Lourdes Guriel, uh, Luis Garcia, the middle infielder for the Nationals, and Randy Rosarena. Uh, and so, like, those are some pretty established guys. Uh, but, like, Luis Garcia only really started being impactful last season. He kind of came up, I think, the year before, but um, we kind of start talking about him now. 2016, Vlad and Andres Jimenez, well, Juan Soto, go, and Tatis were in 2015. Like, this takes a while. Yeah, if we go back to 2016, right, and then you look at a guy like uh, Guriel, and obviously both the Guriel brothers um, have some more, you know, established experience when it comes to playing professional baseball even if it's not um in the states and so 2016 is the the signing year but i and i don't have it in front of him but i think he made his debut what a year or so um after that uh in the case of of lourdes so you know because at the time he signed i think he was like 23 24 it's a little bit even that situation a little bit different right when you're established guy versus being um you know having played in in uh you know, Cuban national team, things of that nature versus being, um, again, 16, 17 year old that's only played against other 16, 17 year olds, um, often in, um, and in less than professional settings. So, uh, that's a good call out. Like you said, 2015, uh, obviously you have Vlad, you have Juan Soto and, and I was just, uh, uh, I want to say it was, I may be misattributing this, but I think it was a conversation I saw with uh, Chris Clegg and one of the um, pitcher list, I think in, in the pitcher list discord. And if it wasn't you, Chris, sorry, I'm, I'm giving you the props. But, no, I think it was. Um, Cause I think I was in that conversation when we were talking about Soto. Right. Yeah. And he yeah, was talking about yeah. like, even Soto was not who we think of as Juan Soto when he got signed. Right. He was like right. not a, a guy that was well known and was not showing all the skills and, and, and abilities that we know him to be. So even that one is kind of, so you always have these like weird cases um whether it be somebody that is signing but is a bit older um or somebody who's signing like way under you know uh, under that million dollar multi-million dollar sort of um threshold that we tend to pay attention to when it comes to international signees they're signing for a few hundred thousand but then they just boom 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 and knock it out and then you know so um yeah i mean you have it here you know it can take anywhere from four to six years at least and this is talking about some of the best young talent that were international signees in the game. And it still very much went off. So what does that all mean in the case of fantasy, right? And dynasty specifically, you just have to be really aware. Um, you know, 
it, it, it's it's very difficult. Like I wouldn't knock anybody if they said, "Hey, you know, even with a Julio Rodriguez, right? Who we thought like clearly a star." If you again, if you go back to 2020, 2021, like around that time, it was supposed to be like Jerry Kalinick, then Julio Rodriguez. It was like, man, Kalinick's going to hit, and then we'll have this guy Rodriguez, and if he's any good, like then the Mariners are really going to be rocking and rolling. And now, obviously, you know, a couple years later, that is completely inverted, right? It's like right. rookie of the year, superstar here, and then we're still holding out hope that Kalinick is going to be like above average right above mm-hmm. replacement so yeah um, these are shots in the dark man um you know you just never know what you're gonna get especially since these guys are so young um and i'm like the guys that i just listed off for like years like 2015 16 and 17 where we start seeing that talent everyone else on that list almost like almost none of them actually touch the big leagues um i think vladimir gutierrez like the pitcher for the reds he kind of came up like had some a pretty bad starts in uh, i think 2021 but like he hasn't really done much. The rest of them like really haven't gone like these are, we're talking about like three or four guys out of the top 30 for MLB pipeline that make a make, make a impact. And they're also some of the best players. Like you're talking about a huge boom or bust. Um, and so, and it also takes like, if you're going to, if you're going to draft these guys in FYP or PD, right. It takes like, you just have so much less to work with um, because they just signed and they just came from like, they just came from internationally and it's so hard to get like video scouting reports and whatnot if you don't like work for a team, right? Like a lot of this stuff is not um, publicly available. And so you're really kind of like, you're kind of paying attention to like the news. Maybe someone does rankings, you know, MLB Pipeline has their rankings and you can kind of make your best educated guess, but it is really hard to hit on these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So um, going, going through and, and, you know, looking at picking out some more recent guys, we highlighted uh, Oscar Cola. So we're going to jump off with him to kind of really dig through, um, you know, how we how we feel about uh, him and his potential for uh, debuting. He was number five uh, last year uh, for MLB Pipeline, signed with the White Sox. Um, and a year later, he definitely is, is on the verge, if, if not, already there uh and and it kind of i guess depends on how you read the tea leaves of whatever the white Sox are doing um but definitely is on the verge of making his major league debut uh come 2023 and we already talked about you know how that's kind of atypical to have that quick turnaround but um colas was another guy older when he signed already had previous uh experience playing professionally um so it's not completely surprising but I think it was still, you know, kind of eye raising, eyebrow raising to see uh, how well he did, not just at the lower minors, which, again, he has more experience. Uh, he's older than most of his competition. But to see uh, just because he is older, just because he does have the experience, it doesn't always translate uh, coming from international to that minor league system. And I, I remember during the lost season during the 2020 season from the minor league standpoint there were some questions about his body was he staying in shape was he going to be able to stay in shape and like what the white house is going to have to do about that um again this is a guy that was uh internationally he was a two-way player so he was also a pitcher and that was supposed to be some of his added value uh the white Sox very quickly and clearly made it um evident that they were only going to use him as a as a batter as a outfielder 
with no pitching at all. Um, so then you had to kind of reassess your how you were going to evaluate him if you were taking him in your FYPD at the time or picking him up. Anyway, long story short, boom, he gets into high A, he gets into double A, and, I mean, he's hitting missiles left and right, and he's just looking like he's ready. He's looking like there's not much else at the minor league level that he can prove now it's putting him in front of that major league pitching. So, um, Jake, what, when you look at Oscar Colas, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, I, I see, um, I see a really good hitter. I don't a hitter, really good hitter. I don't think he's necessarily like the 300 hitter that, you know, he was because he had some pretty like crazy inflated BABIPs. Um, and he carried a pretty varied strikeout rate. Um, and so I think it's going to probably settle in like the mid twenties. Um, but, but it got as high as like, I think 28%. Um, and so when you're talking about a guy who like strikes out a decent amount, um, and has huge BABIPs, like, so he's probably not going to maintain that like high batting average, but the power is legit. Um, he, you know, absolutely connects with the ball. Um, and the Sox are hell bent on getting him up to the majors because he feels a pretty big need for them. Even after the Andrew Benintendi signing, uh, right now the right fielder is listed by roster resources, Gavin Sheets. And I, I love Gavin Sheets as a White Sox fan. I think he's a really great story. I don't necessarily think that he's like a cornerstone in that lineup for the future. Um, I, I think he's a right good... Field. Right. No. <laughs> um, not right field. I'd like him to be like a backup outfielder, a pinch hitter, like, um, or someone to kind of play in when when guys need rest, right? Because like he has good pop and um, I just don't think that's like a... Uh, his profile is like a consistent everyday guy, you know? And so, and, and behind Gavin Sheets, their outfielders on the roster are Lurie Garcia and Victor Reyes. So um, the spot is open for him. Absolutely. Um, and that's a pretty, I think that's a great outfield then if you have Benintendi, Robert and Colas. Um, and, you know, he's a left-handed bat, which uh, the White Sox have been looking for for a while. If they got it in Benintendi, they could absolutely use another one in Colas. Um, and, you know, they promoted him last year. They got him up through the levels and, he ended at AAA, had 33 plate appearances there, and, you know, played really well, but it's it's 33 plate appearances. So, um, you know, they're obviously really um, committed to him, and, um, and like, it makes sense. Like we were talking about earlier, like some of these guys just come in with, you know, prior experience, and they go quicker. He's 23, and so, like, he's, you know, he doesn't need a whole lot more development to be ready. You know, he's he's right there. Um Looking at the projections for him next year are really interesting because like they're they're kind of all across the board. No one really knows. I don't think what to what to quite make of them yet. Um, like Steamer is super high on them. They have them at like being I think eighteen percent better than league average, which is a little crazy. Um, but then you look at like the bat, which is like way lower than that. You know, it's like the complete they're opposite ends of the spectrum there. Um, and then like ATC, of course, ATC is right in the middle. Um, but, you know, I think we can expect maybe 10 to 15 home runs, hitting maybe 230, 250. Um, the projections for him to get about 350 plate appearances. Um, and, like, I like that. That's fine, you know. I don't think it's going to um, really impact, like, redraft leagues this year. But if you got him in, like, an FYPD last year or if he's on the wire in kind of shallower leagues right now, I think that's possible. Um, you know, he's a good bench piece, good depth piece if you have the roster space. And then if you're looking ahead, right, from dynasty or keeper uh, standpoint, what what is what are you thinking uh, as far as 
projecting out like what he would be as a full-time um everyday major league player based on these projections and just kind of what his his player profile is yeah i think um i think i see him kind of as like a 240 to 250 hitter um that might be a little conservative considering what he's done but um you know, like, like it's his first year, I think there's still some growing pains to go through in professional baseball. Um, it's not very often that guys hit the, hit the minors and absolutely like destroy everything and then come up to the majors and keep doing it. You know, like the Juan Soto's are pretty rare. Um, and so I think that he has some stuff to work out with both his, like his plate approach and like his contact abilities. Um, and I, I don't think that he's going to sell out on the power to get to batting average. I don't think that's what he's worth to like the white Sox. I don't think that's what they want him to do. I think they need that, um, the power from the left side a little bit more. And so I think if he leans into the power, starts hitting ball in the air, you know, focuses on like his launch angle and, and hitting his fly balls and line drives pretty hard. Um, maybe pulling the ball more, that'll kind of keep that at batting average a little lower. It'll probably be, um, I, I, I'd be really happy with two fifty from him. If he's also going to hit 25 up to like 30 homers, um, which I think is absolutely possible with him. Um, and there's, you know, there's some upside. I think he could kind of surpass that. But I think that's kind of my conservative maybe in like two years or so if we're looking at like 2025 established guy in the roster, maybe second full season, mm-hmm. you know, 25 homers, yeah. 240, 250. Absolutely, I'll take that. Yeah, I, I, t- I, I was having a – well, I wasn't having a conversation. I was seeing somebody talk about Carlos in, in a different um, – server online and um and, and bless this person I, I don't remember who they are and and if they remember this conversation like not looking to pick on you i just thought it was it was illuminating i wanted to bring it to the podcast because this person was like yeah um colas and then you know he's got to be like a 300 hitter with 30 home runs and i was like uh maybe one of those things he could be a 300 hitter. He's not going to get you 30 home runs, though. Because in order for right. a guy like Colas to hit anywhere close to 300 means that he's not launching the ball. He's not hitting the ball in the air almost at all. Like, that's just – and it would it would almost completely change how he is as a hitter. I was like, now, 30 home runs, absolutely. The power's there. He hits – whenever he does make contact, it is hard. Like, he's got the back speed. He's got the – but then – I, I'll be honest with you, Jake. I think 240, 250 is a bit on the aggressive side. I'd see him more in that 230. Well, maybe not 240. I, I think 250 is a bit aggressive. I see him more, uh, and I see you kind of you kind of had the range here. I see more that 230, 240 guy. But 30 home runs, absolutely. And so if you're in a batting average league, you got to take that into account, that this is a guy who hits the ball right. hard. But, again, his K rate is not – scary it's not like whoa there's there's something like crazy going on here but it is going to probably be consistently on the higher end in that like 25 plus range and the contact rates in general are never i shouldn't say never but they don't look to ever be anywhere outside of that like 70 ish like that low end 70 ish percentage so when you look at those things together for me now, one thing that will benefit him, obviously, being a left-handed hitter is no shift, right? So that's one benefit that we don't even have data for because he didn't make it into the majors when there was a shift. So we really can't even look at what benefits he could get from a data perspective, but just kind of hypothesizing. You can probably guess as a left-handed hitter who pulls a fair amount and hits the ball hard, not having a, a traditional shift 
because again, something to just add in as an, uh, a little aside, there will still be shifting in baseball. They will figure out how to f- like skirt around whatever rules baseball has in place. Absolutely. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> we talk about no shift. Like it's not going to be 1980s baseball. So just like, that's right. not going to be a thing. They are going to figure out how to shift. It's just not going to be the extreme shift that we've seen in the past, you know, 10, right. Years. Right. It's like, these are the parameters that we have now. Right. Then it's like before it was like, we have a full open field. We could do anything we want. What's right. the most advantageous spot to put our guys. Now it's like, okay, like it's shifted a little bit, but we still have a lot of control over where we're going to put these guys. Like, exactly. you know, so like, what's the best way to do that? And then it's exactly. going to turn into just a different kind of a shift. Exactly. So with that being said, um, I, th- I still think Colas will, will have some general benefit. Um, so that could give him a little bit of boost as far as batting average. Now, where I'm interested, because most of the leagues I play in are OBP, uh, so I almost always ditch the batting average unless it's, like, super low. I'm looking at it from an OBP standpoint, and that is where it gets a little bit interesting because some of that is going to be based on team context where, you know, as he establishes himself in a White Sox lineup, if they can remain healthy as guys are still kind of at the tail end of their prime, Tim Anderson, uh, Jimenez, Robert is hitting his prime, like he might be able to benefit from, hey, you can bat him in a spot where there's not really a bunch of, of, of he has some protection, right? There's, 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 you know, some, some reason to kind of pitch to him. If those guys start to fall off or, White Sox start to ship guys out or, you know, they, they feel like the window is closed on them and it's just Colas and nobody else. Um, then I think those numbers start to get skewed because maybe he gets a few more walks, but now the home runs aren't going to be there because he's not getting those pitches to hit. So that's kind of a, a whole scramble mess. I think um, OVP, he'll be solid. I don't think he'll be outstanding. Um, I could see him probably in that 320 range. So these are just some other numbers to keep in mind. But if you're just looking for a power hitter, there's no reason. I mean, he's young. He's on a decent lineup. Like right? whatever you think about the White Sox, like they're not bad. Um, so the run, the run environment is there for him. Um, the ballpark isn't horrible, right? And like you said, as a left-handed hitter, he can he can get a fair amount of home runs. Um, so yeah, I think uh, just to kind of put the button on on Colas, definitely interested to see how spring training works. Um, like you said, I think they really do want to get him up this year. It's just going to be a matter of how many um, games is he really going to be able to play? Are they going to start? Are they going to break camp with him? Are they going to give him an extra month in AAA just to kind of up those plate appearances? Like you said, they only had the 33 and then bring him up May, June time. But uh, if you have him, uh, hold him. There's no reason. I, I think unless you're getting like some crazy big offer, there's no real reason to move him. Uh, if he's available, uh, and again, in, in any sort of um, deep uh, or not deep, but any sort of shallow dynasty or, or keepers, I, I say, you know, open up a roster spot, grab them. Uh, to your point about redrafts, and I know we don't talk redrafts heavy on this podcast, but just thinking about it, um, somebody keep an eye on, right? Because, again, if he breaks camp, then he, his value goes way up because uh, he's now going to most likely be getting every day at bat. So definitely somebody to circle and pay attention to if you're in a redraft. So that's Oscar Colas. Um, moving on, this might be the most uh, beloved prospect. Like, this is number one with the bullet. Not necessarily saying he's the best overall prospect, but this is the guy that everybody wants a part of, and that's Jackson Churio. Um, 2021, number 17 overall for MLB Pipeline as an international signee. And, I mean, 
there's a guy who literally from 2021, now we're talking about the start of the 2023 season uh, in a couple months, he's legitimately played himself, I think, into what, top 20, some list maybe top 10 as a prospect in a year and change. Um, just demolished every level so far. Like hasn't hasn't stumbled, hasn't shown any issues. Uh, talk to us about Cheerio, Jake. Yeah, I think um, just the the craziest thing about it is that he's eighteen. He was eighteen last year, and he played in single A, high A, and double A. He was promoted twice, played in three different levels, and got to double A as an eighteen year old. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> like that's I mean, you can see why everyone loves him, right? Like if the you know the Brewers are that confident in him and and he's like performing, like oh my gosh, like absolutely, we're talking about someone who could be in the majors before they could legally drink. You know, we're talking about like the um, some of like the best players that we've seen kind of debut recently. So um, you know, in, in single A, he had a one sixty weighted runs created plus, um, which was I believe his biggest sample size last year. Yeah, he had two two hundred and seventy one plate appearances in single A, a one sixty weighted runs created plus. Uh, they went to high A in one hundred and fifty two plate appear or one hundred forty two plate appearances, had a one nineteen weighted runs created plus. Um, so like nineteen percent better than league average at high A as an eighteen year old. Yeah, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> Uh, and then he went up to double A for just like six games, it looks like. So he didn't hit well in double A, but again, he was an 18 year old. So, um, I, you know, and he'll get that opportunity next year. He'll be back in double A. We'll get to see a huge sample from him there. And, um, man, it's just so much, it's going to be so much fun to watch what, what he can do with the opportunity. Cause like he has the opportunity, uh, he has the backing of the org right now. So we'll see what he can do with it. Yeah. I mean, I, so if you're a, a listener of the show, you know that I tend to say I don't like making comparisons between players because I typically don't find them to be very helpful. Um, but certain things do remind me, uh, certain things from from older players or previous players do remind me, um, you know, they, they kind of occur again in, in echoes. And so I might see a new, uh, a younger prospect or a younger player and say like, oh, that, that swing is kind of like this guy's swing or this kind of reminds me of that. When I think about Jackson Churio, I kind of think about Ronald Acuna Jr. And it's just like, what can't he not do? Like he can play, he he, he can play the outfield. He hits the ball hard uh, without having a lot of swing and miss. He has decent enough plate uh, um, plate discipline where he knows how to work a walk. Right, you have here around seven percent um, walk rate for for the year total between all levels. It's quick on the base pass, 14 stolen bases uh, total in all the games played. Uh, it's just like, five, I mean, we talk about five tools, but, like, that's what it looks like, right? Like, you want to know what it looks like. You watch Jackson Churio play. And, I mean, there was a point in time where there was a Jackson Churio highlight on the timeline for almost every game. It was like, oh, he hit another home run. Oh, like, he stole two two bases here. Oh, he made this catch. Oh, he did it, like, and, and that kind of, again, just, it, it reminds me of of Acuna as he was coming up and and first kind of entering the league, and obviously we know what he what he is now. Um, not saying it's a one to one, but again, just reminiscent of. I think for Cheerio, what I'm looking at is again getting that fuller um, sample size in Double A, uh, and then really just having an idea of what. Uh, 
what is his his tools translating into skills? Like, what does he not do? Like, are there actual gaps in his game? And what do the Brewers do to kind of support him in that? Because if it is a guy where it's just like that, he's he demolishes double A, um, you know, in a couple of months. Do they bring up an eighteen year old into their team in in June? And if you do that, where is it exactly he's going to play? Because your outfield is not is not super crowded, but you got some other pieces that you're trying to get figured out. And so I'm just kind of curious, like what the I, I guess what I'm trying to drive at is. I'm curious to see like what the team's plans are because Churio seems like the type of player who's he's going to play his way into making tough like making the team make some tough decisions, which is always what you want to see from any baseball player, but especially a young guy. Uh, I'm just curious to see like what are those decisions because Yellick is still there; they're still paying him money. Uh, they brought up Garrett Mitchell, and he had an okay. He he started to end the year on a pretty high note. Um, it took him a while to get started, but he's there. Uh, we still are waiting for the arrival of Joey Weimer um, a, a year after he kind of set the world on fire in 2021. His 2022 was a little bit cooler, but he's already at double A and he's kind of pushing ahead. Um, Sal Freelick is another guy who names get, uh, whose name gets mentioned constantly. I think personally, Churio has more talent than all of those guys, but he's also the youngest of all of them. And also has the least experience because all these other guys that we named all had college experience, right? Mitchell was at UCLA. Freelich was at uh, Boston College. I forget where Weimer is at. I should know, but I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, so these all these guys all have some prior experience along with already being at the high minors. So I'm just kind of curious overall. Like, I'm not out on Cheerio. If you have him, you hold him, obviously. Like, this is a guy that is, you know, the gem of your – farm system um in a dynasty uh context but i'm just kind of i guess more so from like uh, in in real life uh baseball standpoint i'm just curious to see what the brewers are going to do what decisions they're going to make because if he does anywhere close this year to what he did last year i mean he's he's going to be at the doorstep to <laughs> trying to kick down the door um yeah right, right. was amazing yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of how he builds off of last year, you know, because you could see like some like very minor things that he might have to work on, right? Like, for example, his line drive rate was like pretty low. He was really high on the ground balls, really, really high on the fly balls. Mm-hmm. Um, not super optimal, right? Because like the um, your BABIPs are best on line drives, obviously, like fly balls have like unless they're homers or maybe doubles off the wall, like most of them are outs. Um and like obviously everyone hates ground balls; they're the worst. So it's like, um, you know, it's a bit of an extreme right now. I think there's some optimization to do there. Um, also, he's 18. There's plenty of time. Uh, you know, he's he pulls the ball a lot, which is like good or bad, I guess, depending on how you look at it, right? Like, what do you actually want out of him? Um, is that something that's happening on purpose? Is he just really aggressive? Does he get out in front of of balls? Is he does he have trouble waiting on the breaking balls? Um, I you know, it's kind of too early to tell. I think. Um, there, but um, you know, as we watch him more next year, and as he continues to develop in bulk, like he's a he's a pretty skinny kid right now. Like he does not look very imposing. You know, uh, he has so much room to continue to grow, bulk up, and just like get more powerful. So um, it's really like we're looking at like the very beginnings right now, and they can go I think a, a bunch of different ways. But um, I, I think they're all going to be 
they're all going to be pretty good. Yeah. You say bulk up and then I, I, I cringe a little bit because, uh, I think about Victor Robles and I'm like, no, don't bulk up. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> Add weight, but do not bulk. Oh, <laughs> um, so moving on, uh, we have a couple more international guys to, to run through uh, this. Uh, <laughs> the the head of the class of 2019, um, he, he's got the nicknames. He had the hype. Uh, he went through the full hype cycle, I think, in like six months time of the he's going to be the greatest of all time to this guy's going to be a bust to actually he's being underrated now. And that is uh, New York Yankee outfielder Jason Dominguez. Uh how would you say Jason Dominguez is working out thus far? Just fine. <laughs> yeah. He is yeah. solid. I don't see I don't see some huge warts. Um I don't see anything that's pointing to the fact that he's a bust. But like when you come up and everyone's like, "Oh, that's Mike Trout." I just saw Mike Trout walk by me. Oh my god. Like it's going to be really hard to live up to that. Um and so when you have those like just crazy expectations like the fact like he put up a 134 weighted runs created plus and 324 plate appearances at low a as a 19 year old that's solid for like anyone not named jason dominguez you're looking at that you're like oh yeah that's pretty cool but like the fact that he didn't just like completely come out and um i don't know do better than that like everyone's like ah like okay he's all right uh 2021 was was pretty brutal his first full year but again he was he was 18 uh wrc plus around 100 um and now we're seeing like so much development. I think he's so he's getting more efficient at bait stealing. He got caught six times in 25 attempts in uh, low A last year. And then he went 17 of 18 in high A. Um, so as the competition got better, he got better, you know. Um, so I think that's really good to see him get more efficient at bait stealing. Uh, his walk rate has been uh, above 10% at each level in 2022. Um, and he cut his K rate from high A or from low A to high A, um, much smaller sample size in high A. So like it go, it went from 27.5 down to 18.5%. Um, are either of those legit? Probably not. I think they're both kind of, um, you know, I think, I think he kind of settles in at like low twenties maybe. Um, but like, that's fine. Especially if you're going to walk around 10% of the time, um, if you can kind of carry that approach into the into the higher levels and into the majors. Um, he's super fast. The power is developing. The ISOs are getting better. Um, like this is someone who's on the upward trajectory pretty solidly. I really can't pick out a whole lot that like is going to be like, oh, well, nah, I'm not, I'm out on him. Nah, I, I wouldn't say that at all. Yeah, and then we saw him uh, obviously uh, show out at the Futures game as well. So, you know, when the lights are on and, and you know, people are paying attention, uh, he wasn't too small for the moment. So, I I just think it's kind of phenomenal and, and amazing to see uh, again um, any prospect, but um, especially a, a guy that was this young, again go through that like full prospect hype cycle. Normally we see that play out in a year, you know, two years, and literally it seemed like it was you know a compressed amount of time of you know super hype. He's terrible. And now it's like, actually, you know who's a who might be a buy low? Like <laughs> you might be able to sneak him in. Uh, it, it, it's kind of crazy. So I, I think um, I agree with you. I think Dominguez, you know, if he's going to be the next this person or that person, I, I, I have no real interest in. Um, but just what he is showing us is the skill set is real. The power is legit. Um, 
to me that it's it's that walk rate and the ability to steal bases. I, I think as he um I think he's a, a guy and you talked about efficiency. I think he's a guy that his foot speed might decline as he ages just because of um he's a you know, he's a thicker guy. I think, you know, as he gets older, there's some more weight that just wouldn't actually show up. But I think he has shown some baseball IQ where um, I always think about a guy like Chipper Jones or, or Larry Walker, where it's like they were never the fastest guys. But because their baseball IQ, they knew how to take an extra base. They knew how to steal bases. I mean, we see um, both of their base steal numbers are, I mean, for Larry Walker, phenomenal. But even for a guy like Chipper Jones, you don't think about him as a base stealer. And that was never like his calling card, obviously. But he could chip in, no pun intended, but he, he could throw you a good handful of stone bases in, in, when he was in his prime just off the strength of he was a smart base stealer. And he understood right. taking leads and, and reading pitchers and when to take uh, that, that next base. And I think Dominguez has that in him as well, where it, it's not just straight line speed, but he has um, the awareness to, to, to make those reads. So you could be looking at a guy that's constantly giving you double digit, you know, 10 uh, minimum of 10 or 12 stolen bases for a while. And he could have some highs um, when he's in his prime as well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, uh, but again, you talked, uh, Jake, about his, the 2019 class. Like, you look around the rest of that class, and there's only a handful of other people that have even made any sort of noise. So, um, you know, there's a reason why he was sticking out as the head of that class to begin with. Um, so, moving on and, and finishing up with our little retrospective looking at international folks, we have um, another guy who pro- I would argue – if he had stayed healthy, he may have surpassed the hype that we've seen around Churio um, because he was kind of on that same trajectory of that, what what can this guy not do? And that's Emmanuel Rodriguez of the Twins. This is not Emmanuel Rodriguez of the San Diego Padres. Please don't make that mistake when you're drafting people or trying to pick people up. Uh, I've heard some horror stories already in <laughs> oh some early FYPDs oh of people not paying attention no. and grabbing the wrong Emmanuel Rodriguez. So, again... This is a man, Rodriguez, outfielder for the Minnesota Twins, not for the Padres. Uh, he was another uh, prospect that was signed in 2019. He was actually number 12 overall, uh, ranked by Pipeline. And last season, I mean, 272, 493, uh, 552, and 47 games. That was his slash line. Nine home runs, 11 stolen bases. So, again, speed-power combination. Um, unfortunately, he suffered a torn meniscus, and that ended the season in – we're hoping that uh, he'll come back fully healthy for 2023. I, I think, and I didn't have it in my notes here, and I apologize. I want to say that early indications are that he will be ready for minor league spring training, I believe. If I have that wrong, I apologize. I should have had that in the notes, and I didn't. Um, but uh, it seems like he should be healthy, at least we can say early in the season, that he won't be missing much, if any, time of uh, actual plate appearances, which is good because we want to see him back um, doing the dynamic things he does. And you actually wrote him up, um, Jake, in your um, top 15 Minnesota Twins prospect piece for pitcher list. So so what did you find? Yeah, I found the makings of an extremely efficient and poised hitter. Um, I think he's I think he's going to be like really good at the plate. And I cannot watch him, wait to watch him 
next season because there I think for me there's a pretty obvious kind of like way forward to like building off of like the skills that he has shown to like just you know be an even better hitter um but you know going to his breakout last year he had a 196 weighted runs created plus in 199 low a plate appearances uh he was 19 and he walked more than he struck out uh he did strike out 26 percent of the time um which he and he walked 28 percent of the time like what is that um so and, and you know if you watch his at bats he just he watches so many pitches um and, you know, he watches the pitches on the edges and he gets really deep into counts um, pretty consistently. Like, you know, obviously if he's has, you know, more than 50% of the time he's striking or walking out. Um, and so I think it's good for his like pitch recognition and his knowledge of the strike zone. Um, and I think that's going to help him out as he goes up. But I want to see him get just a little bit more aggressive and put work to put himself in hitters counts rather than getting in pitchers counts because he's like watching the edges. Um if he gets himself in more advantageous counts and then gets a little bit more aggressive, like we see him, we start seeing him punishing mistakes a lot more often and not maybe like, you know, watching them go. Um, and I think that if he can like take, like there's so much room to work with, with a 28% walk rate. Um, we don't need that. We don't, we don't need that at all. Um, give me a 12% walk rate and like in the majors and I'd be absolutely happy with that. Right. So, I hopefully, hopefully the way it goes is like as he gets more aggressive and stops seeing so many like two strike counts or full counts, um, that like the strikeout rate also kind of goes down a little bit too. Um, if he's swinging at pitches earlier in the count, um, I don't think twenty six percent is where it's going to end up. I can see it being like low twenties, um, because I just I you know I really believe in him as as a hitter, um, and he has a really good swing path. Uh, he creates a lot of loft in his swing. His launch angles are fantastic. He only. Uh, only 27.7% of his uh, batted balls last year were ground balls, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, really great line drive rates, you know, solid fly ball rates. Um, and he has kind of like the raw power to to back those numbers up, right? So, um, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see what he does. He was my number two prospect in the Twins organization, um, just behind Royce Lewis and just ahead of Brooks Lee. Um, Royce Lewis would have graduated last year if not for his own his own knee injury. Um, so I could see like Emmanuel being the, like, he'll be the number one prospect, I think in the twins org, um, before he graduates. Uh, and, uh, I haven't just had a Brooks Lee. I, I think that like, I wouldn't argue with anyone who would say that Brooks Lee might be a little higher. I think that they're on my overall list. They're like right next to each other too. So, um, I, I do really like both Brooks of them. Lee. Oh, yeah, please. We'll, we'll get into, we'll get into in, in a, in a couple moments, but all right. Okay. Yes, but in, the, F, in the FYPD stuff, yes, right? Yes. I'm a Brooks Lee <laughs> fan though. That, that's what I just had to interrupt to say I'm a fan of Brooks Lee but I think um where you're talking about having him um Jake is is again 19 years old and you're talking about being an Oars top prospect um that's saying something and if you haven't had a chance to um watch any of uh Rodriguez's um highlights or or just his his at bats or things that he does like go through the time go through Twitter go through YouTube like Go through uh, milb.tv, uh, which, you know, no free ads, but I'm always a fan, um, you know, and, and try to watch some of those things because, yeah, I, I agree with you, Jake. I think he, there's a dynamism with Rodriguez. Um, and, again, that's why I would kind of put him with Churio. It's kind of like there's that added um, – it, it sounds it sounds very old baseball to say, but, like, there's that added it factor of, like, there's – not only is – 
are they technically sound to get the results, but there's an extra intangible piece of like everything they do jumps off the page, so to speak, like jumps off the screen as you when you're watching them. It's like, oh yeah, they hit the ball, but like it has a little, it has a different sound. Like it has a little extra carry to it, right? Like they can go and like get the ball in the outfield, but like every catch that they make is like, wow, they covered a lot of ground. Right. Like, they're just, so it's just some, something extra to to both those guys. So, um, again, really hoping that um, obviously with any sort of knee injury, you're always um, concerned, but hoping that uh, he's able to to come back healthy, uh, having finished up rehab and, and ideally pick up, you know, pretty much where he left off. And in a twins organization that ironically, you know, we were talking about with the White Sox earlier in Colas, um, twins kind of in a similar boat of. They kind of thought they would be contenders. It doesn't really look like they're going to really be contenders, but maybe because they got Korea back, which we're not going to get into. That's been covered enough. Um, but it's just like when you look at the the quote unquote you know window of contention for them, how much they, they think it's open. open. They're going for it, right? They think it's yeah. open, but is that really the case? So I say all that to say, like, if Rodriguez continues to do well, and again, it was just that low A, so he still has a while to go through, and. and uh, the twins. One thing I do know is that the twins' um, farm system, their teams are in some, especially high A and double A, are in some pretty competitive leagues, and so he'll get some really good competition if he's able to jump from um, low A. And I want to say low A is uh, the the muscles. I think that's Fort Myers is their low A team. Uh, I'm blanking on their high A team, and I should know. Is this Cedar Rapids? Um, yes, thank you. Cedar Rapids is, is um, high and, and yeah. that. Yeah, I went to college like uh, thirty minutes south of Cedar oh, Rapids. There you go. So like, there, there's my like random piece of knowledge that I can. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So like, um, high A and double A are, are both pretty competitive. So if he's able to make it through um, either one of those leagues this year, if not both, he he'll definitely be battle tested. So um that's a man of Rodriguez. that's how i look back so the the summation of all this before we get into fypd and i know that's that's what many of y'all want to hear about but the summation of all this is when you're looking at international signees whether it be this um recent class any future class you know look at these examples that we've picked out and look at what the skill sets were and or, or what the tools were before they even turned into skills, but look at what the tools were that these um, signees were showing. And again, think about team context. Think about, um, you know, all the 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 non. I hate to say because again, it sounds old baseball, but like all the non analytic pieces. So like, are they getting drafted by a team? Are they getting signed by a team that has no history of developing international signees? That might be an indicator. Could they be the first one? Absolutely, because everybody has to start somewhere. But, like, that could be an indicator. Like, this team doesn't really know how to develop international signees. That might be something lacking here. Um, do they have a lot of countrymen, like you were talking about with uh, Celestin and, and Julio Rodriguez, who is a young star from the Dominican Republic, right? So there is a kinship there that's even different than if you had a 34 or 36 year old Dominican Republic uh player uh that you would partner up um you know do they have that sort of kinship or that sort of network that they can have to support um international signing players 
right? Um, like the White Sox have become like a huge spot for Cuban players. Exactly. You know, like exactly. Luis Robert, Jose Abreu, Yoan Moncada, Yasmani exactly. Grandal. Like they all went there and they've signed. They've signed a decent amount. Like Yoel Cespedes um, is, you know, one of the recent ones. And yeah. so they're they're like that's a perfect example of yeah. guys where it's like people from Cuba want to go there, um, or at least they have been for you know a few years there. So um, yeah, I think that absolutely matters. Um, yeah. So um, with that being said, let's jump into. FYPD. Um, so stick with us after the jump as we dive into FYPD prep all across the board. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Okay, and we're back. Let's start with the basic question, Jake. How do you prepare? You're going into FYPD for your league. What are you doing to get ready? Yeah, I've written down here rankings and roster spots. Um, I It's really hard to do like a full FYPD prep on your own because like these guys are coming from college, high school. Um, it's not, you can't go to like a baseball savant page. Uh, find an analyst that you really trust. Find their FYPD rankings and start from there. Um you know, because there's like a lot of these guys, like we could talk about them, you know, all we want. We think that they're really projectable. We think that they're really safe. Um, getting from college or from high school to the major leagues is like a pretty huge undertaking for anyone. Right. So it's like, I mean, all these guys are pretty much, you know, they're, I mean, it's a little probability that they're going to turn into like what everyone wants them to be. So you start with like, start with the rankings of, of someone that you trust and, and go from there because, um, you know, I think you're going to, that's going to set you up pretty well initially. And then you could start kind of like going into their, um, you know, going into their scouting reports um, for the guys that you're interested in going into the, um, the, the, like the film from, you know, from different uh, showcases and whatnot, you know, and maybe add some, some bumper guys up here or there. Um, and then roster spots. You have to, you have to clear spots on your, on your team roster to draft these guys. Um, in most cases, at least in the leagues I'm in. And so it's like, so for me, for example, one league I did a startup league uh, last year, like during the season last year, and this is our first FYPD. Mm. And I have like in my head, I'm like, oh, I want to contend next year, you know. And I'm looking at my roster, and I'm like, man, like, who am I? Who am I going to kick off? And they're 50 man rosters, which is like, oh, you have plenty of space. And you start looking at, it, you're like, I have no space. Mm. Where is the space? <laughs> um, and so, like, you have to kind of like look at like, especially if you're trying to like win next year, like, who are you going to kick off to kind of wait to you know to take the chances on these guys? And then it's like, okay, do I want to try to get the college hitters? Do I mm-hmm. want to get the the Brooks Lee who's already gotten a double A? 
um, you know, or if like you're rebuilding, like, oh, heck yeah, give me Jackson Holiday, give me Drew Jones, like I'll wait a few years, like if they're good enough, they'll be here when they're 21 or so, like, um, but, you know, I think it's, it's, I don't like looking at like my necessarily my huge positions of need, you know, because it's like, I could fill that who knows what's going to come up on the wire in the next few years until they're going to come up. Right. But um, it's more about like, are you contending? Or are you not contending? How much roster space are you willing to contribute uh, to set aside for these guys? Uh, how long are you willing to wait? Um, and so I think that that matters a lot for your strategy for sure. Yeah. So um, that's interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about roster spots in that way. Um, so that's, I think I still have like one or two. FYPD. So maybe I'll take that into consideration as I look at my other teams. Um, rankings definitely like that's a huge one. Uh, I, I I don't have a whole lot to, to add on to what you said. You got to find you got to find a starting point, um, and then build it out from there. I will say this: so rankings, as we generally think about them in the community, right? That stack ranking. I've been I've been kind of going on this mini rant on like in like uh dms and stuff with people who have been asking me like what do you think about this oh this ranking can't what do you think like rankings as we see them um i'll be completely honest and and i'm going to sound somewhat hypocritical because i released an article that was a rankings article um but like generally i i find that they are less and less valuable like over the years because there's a lot like the market's kind of saturated and i'm much more interested in like give me the tiers give me a breakdown of the player types right like give me a breakdown of this guy's ceiling is he's a superstar this guy's ceiling is he'll be above league average and like whether they're number two or number six like that's kind of less important to me than just knowing what is their max potential looking like based on what we know now now like everybody could be a star you know things happen there's there's plenty of stories of baseball players who weren't supposed to be good and they're great so we know that but just based on what we know like give me that a little bit more but that's kind of a rant for a different day generally speaking yeah you gotta find something to start with and then and then know know what you're interested in right no there always are going to be um players that you know, we talk about prospect crushes, like there's always going to be players or player types that you're more attracted to programs that you're more interested in or that you're, you know, you're a believer in. Um, there's a guy on my list that we're going to talk about um, in, in a little bit. And um, I saw a lot of people being like, well, you know, like it's going to give away who I'm talking about uh, if you know, but you know, Hey, you know, name, name a better pair Louisville and, and, and the Dodgers organization. It's like, there's people that just think like, Hey, he came from this school. Like we saw a run of like Vandy boys. Right. So it's like, Oh, Vanderbilt, you know, best team out there, best college program out there. You know, any, anybody that's coming from them, you got to pay attention to. Um, So you always are going to have those things that obviously can create some blind spots. So you have to be aware of that, but you know, your, your draft um, strategy is always going to be specific to you. And like, you got to know your league context. You have to know your league context. Um, if you don't, and and I'm actually the FYPDs other than my home league um, that I are in, I've started adopting some teams. So these are all teams where like manager abandoned them. Uh, you know, 
the ask was put out there and I took a look and was like, yeah, I'll jump in. Um, and it was right around, you know, drafting time. So now I don't really know the league context for some of these leagues, right? As far as what other managers might like. And so that's a little bit more agnostic. And I'm kind of just going in a vacuum that poses its own challenge. And that's kind of why I, I took that on, but it's, excuse me, it's a lot more helpful. Um, to know like oh okay i know jake is jake is always looking at this type of picture um so he's probably gonna take so and so um you know nick always wants this type of hitter um or he never you know he never is going to take an international signee guy so i know like all the international signee guys are going to be available once nick spot is uh, like he because he he never takes them having that it just it makes it a lot easier to build out um, your draft strategy, because there's some things that you can kind of start to lean on. Um, so I always like lead context. I always like knowing, um, again, just like you said, Jake, like rankings and, and somewhere to get started from. Um, right. I think I like rankings. If you're starting, like if you're starting from scratch, right? Rankings, mm-hmm. I think are the one thing that they're good at is like getting a sense of the player pool. Um, mm-hmm. Because you, it's really hard to do that when you just look at like the draft itself. Because like we're drafting for complete different things, the like us, us casuals on the couch, you know, are drafting a lot different than like major league teams, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like there's going to be guys that draft in the first round that won't go in the first two rounds in like an right. FYPD, um, or there's going to be guys that are drafted late that are going to be pushed up, like, um, like the guy that you were just hinting at again. Well, I'll hint at him again. I won't get to him later. But um, you know, like so, I think it's if you're just watching the draft, it might be hard to get like a good sense of, of what's happening. But um, at least if you look at a set of rankings, you're like, okay, this is the player pool. This is where kind of the industry might be on this guy. Um, and then if you see someone's pushed way up from their draft price, um, the major league draft price, like, okay, like, why is that? You know, take a look into it. Like maybe that's a place to start. So, but yeah, I agree that the tiers are a lot, um, a lot better because like when, uh, and you'll hear even analysts say it, that make rankings, like you can take any guy that's between, let's say 15 and 25, like, I won't argue if you want to put 24 ahead of 17, like that's all right. You know? So I the upside. So one thing I want to do, uh, well, let me ask, I should have asked at the top, um, Jake and I, I apologize. Have you, um, have you started or completed the FYPD yet for the, for the year? No, no, I haven't. I think the first one's going to be in like early February. Um, okay. and then there's another one I think is going to be in mid to late February. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I, I, I kind of figured, and we wanted to get this out, uh, this, and then we'll probably have a second FYPD, um, episode will probably be our second, um, our, 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 the second part of FYPD prep will probably be the first episode of February for that reason. I know most people really start getting into FYPD in, um, early February before spring training really kicks off. Um, but my home league, uh, which is 20 team OBP, uh, league, we have completed our FYPD. So I wanted to talk through, um, I actually posted this on Twitter, what, um, my draft ended up looking like, and I'll run through that again, if you didn't see it. Um, but I kind of just wanted to talk through some things that I saw, um, that were interesting. Um, I actually think I'm going to do a little write up for the league. Um, just kind of doing a little draft grading who did well and who didn't, uh, Myself being excluded, because that would be weird to talk about my own draft. But uh, just so you know what uh, what the draft um, results ended up being for my team. So 
Um, and I, <laughs> I should know this off the top of my head, and I don't. But let me see if I can. Let me see if I can pull it off. Um, at the fifth overall pick, first round, I took Gavin Cross. Um, for Kansas City. Uh, that's my Brooks Lee story. I had Brooks Lee. I had him teed up, ready to go from like October. Like I was in on Lee. Like okay, and I was gaming. I was looking at the first four guys, and I was like, okay, well, Holiday Jones is going to be one. You know, one A, one B. Right, cool. They're off the board. And then the person who originally had the third round pick, I was like, okay, I uh, I think they might lean this way, that way. I don't think that they're going to take somebody like Lee. I don't think Lee's flashy enough for them. I think they're going to look for somebody that might be a little bit more high ceiling, right? And then the fourth person, uh, <laughs> I was like, that he might snipe me. I was like, it was 50% chance that he might snipe me. Maybe, maybe not. But he's also a Mets fan. And once once Singer signed, I was like, ah, that might, that might be his pick. I don't know. Well, then the third the the number three pick got traded and that screwed me all over because I knew for a fact, having talked to the person that traded up that he traded up specifically to get a specific player. And I was trying to write my brain about who that player could be. And never once like, did I think it was Lee? I was like, if I get sniped, it'll be at number four. And sure enough, not thinking about it. Number three pick comes in Brooks Lee's off the board. And I was like, I, we can't curse, but like I was cursing, I was cursing. So, um, I did have Cross as my backup, uh, and I, I talked about him in the Kansas City article that I uh, did for Picture List, so you can check it out um, there with my write-up is. But, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not as, as much as I do like Bruce Lee, I'm not too mad to, to end up, you know, with Gavin Cross. I think the power is going to be phenomenal. Um, he has decent foot speed as well, so I think he can contribute um, some stolen bases. I don't know if he'll get into double digits, but even five to seven. Um, it's nice to just have as a chip in. Um, I think the average will be decent enough because I don't think he uh, so far hasn't shown any sort of propensity for high amount of strikeouts. Um, and I think the OBP, and, and like I said, I'm playing in an OBP league. I think the OBP will be rock solid and he's going to be in a, a, a run environment, you know, where there's going to be runs to be created, right? You got Bobby Witt, you got Melendez, you got Prado. You got uh, Pasquantino. You got a lot of, you know, you got a lot of boppers uh, up and down that that lineup, even if their pitching is still e. But <laughs> you got a lot of guys that can hit at least, um, and I think that's going to serve uh, Cross well. He he looked great in um, his pro debut, which uh, I did kind of take for a little bit of grain of salt, only because uh, he was starting in low A and coming out of um, Virginia Tech. He, you know, I think he was more advanced in that level. Uh, and I think that that had something to do with it, but it was still nice to see, you know, just because you assume something, it's still nice to see it play out that way. Um, I'm a lot more interested to see what happens in high A and, and going from there. Um, so I had uh cross at five. I had a uh, number 16 pick in the first round. Uh, I took Tyler Locklear, the guy that I was thinking of, and this kind of spills our, you know, who were higher than most bit, but the guy I had right there, it was literally like Locklear, or Dalton rushing for the Dodgers. I was like, ah, who do I go with? And I ended up going Locklear. Um, but I definitely, I was right there about to choose rushing. He went like the pick after me. And the guy, the guy who chose him, like paying me was like, I, I thought for sure you were taking rushing. Like I, I knew for a fact that he was going to. Um, 
I really like Dalton Russian guys. Like I really do. Um, I know he's catcher first baseman. I know that that's always like um, not the sexiest position, and and there's always some some question marks about that value. But what he what he did in his pro debut is like he beasted. And I wish I grabbed all the numbers. I didn't. But I mean, he smacked everything. And I mean the 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 home run power I think is real. And I think if they move from the first base, obviously then you have less of that wear and tear from from catching, which helps um uh him as a hitter. Uh again, that's you know, people are, you know, talking up the Louisville to Dodgers pipeline. We know that the Dodgers have great player development in general, but even without just banking on all that sort of stuff, um, I think what Rushing also did when you look at what he did at Louisville once he got the starting gig, um, that kind of gave you the indicator there that that there's some major talent. And so I think um, Rushing is a guy that I'm higher on than I've seen many. Uh, I haven't looked at every list and all, all the sort, but just in the conversations, it seems like people are like, oh, yeah, you know, he's good. But I think maybe the catcher first baseman piece might be scaring him off. And there's some other, you know, more dynamic players. But especially if you're in that deep league and you're in that that mid, mid-tier mid of the first round, I think Rush – again, I'm fine with Tyler Locklear. I can talk him up as well. But, like, I think Dalton Rushing is, is a guy to take. Um, so that was my first round. Uh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to pull it up because I'm not gonna remember off the top of my head like who everybody was. Um, but so far, like, what do you think about that that first round, Jake? Uh, yeah, I think Cross is Cross is great. Okay, real quick though, where is your league on like Elijah Green and Tamar Johnson? Because it, it feels like there's a lot of like the industry consensus is like the top four. It's like the top two, Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday, and then the next two are. Elijah Green and Tamar Johnson. Kodai Senga can kind of go anywhere in there depending on who's drafting, right? But it feels like that there was like there's been a pretty consistent top four. So like where did those guys end up in yours? So yeah, so um and I'm gonna have to pull up like the whole thing on my phone. Uh because I don't Sorry, push I know I know that Tamar <laughs> ended up at number 10. And I know when I wow. posted that, okay. um I didn't post that on Twitter, but I posted that in a, another server. A lot of people were like, What? Like, how did he fold? And even in the draft, like even in, in in our um in the league's uh conversation it was kind of like oh that's surprising like i didn't think he would fall that far like you know okay he's not going in, in the top five but like you figure six or seven no all the way down to 10 um and i think that that <laughs> he's a guy so we're kind of talking we're kind of talking through the the other the other parts here but um guys that were lower than he's a guy that i'm lower than than lower on than most uh, I've kind of ranted about him in a couple of different spots. So I don't want to cover everything. I want to be very clear. I think his talent is evident. I think that there's a lot of people much smarter than me that have talked through how great of a hitter he is. So I'm not at all saying like he's going to be a bust or he's overrated. That's not at all what I'm saying. There are some questions that I have about his body type, about his defensive position, about um, how much speed he's actually going to contribute that make me think it puts a lot of pressure on him being a great hitter for a long time that I'm not willing to go in on. If you were to draft him in, you know, if you have the top five pick and you want to draft him within that top five um, outside of like a, a holiday or Jones, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to berate you. I'm not going to tell you that you're you're dumb or bad or anything of that nature. It's just there's some question marks for me that my conservative nature, I'm like, I'd rather go this other route. Um, now, for the rest of the managers, I, I didn't get a full-on, like, explanation from everybody, like, the, the first nine or the first other eight um, managers about, like, why they didn't take him. I think the surprise there was Spencer Jones went before him. So Spencer Jones went number seven. Um, while tomorrow went number 10 and that even surprised me, especially the manager that took him, I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then Elijah, um, you asked me about Elijah green. I got to look that up because I didn't have it in front of me and I didn't remember. Uh, while you're looking at that though, let me just theorize. Okay. So I'm, I got a FYD coming FYPD coming up 12 team league, uh, OBP. Standard five by five outside of that uh, rotisserie. Uh, I got the seventh pick. I finished fifth in the league last year. So I got the seventh pick and I'm looking at it. And the way you just said Spencer Jones went seventh in your FYPD. And I was looking and I was, I'm a little upset. I'm a little salty with the fantasy and, baseball. And sorry, here. hold on. Let me correct yeah. that. Spencer Jones went eighth. I have it up in front of me now. Okay. He went eighth. Oh, so Either way. Elijah Green went number six. Cam Collier went number seven. Spencer Jones went number eight. Okay. Chase DeLauder with number nine, Tamar Johnson number ten. Gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. I mean, yeah. I I mean, I can see. I like. I like those. I mean, yeah. I like those guys. Let's. But so, like, what I was saying with with Spencer Jones, right? A little salty because I was watching the draft and my first thought was, oh, like six seven, six seven lefty in Yankee Stadium, huh? You know, I think everyone had that thought, right? But then you like watch what he actually did in the minors when he played last year, then it's like, okay, now you have my attention. Like he managed the strikeout rate. He looked really good. Um, and so I'm, I was thinking that I can get him at 18th overall in that draft. Um, Cause he was like, originally he was kind of in like maybe the low twenties. And I was like, Oh, let's hope I can get him there. And now if I want him, I'm going to have to take him with the first pick. Like there's no way he's going to be there at the end. Cause he's been talked about so much. And now I'm like, I'm upset about it. I'm upset. Um, so I think it'll either, I think I'll end up at either him um, or, Maybe Cam Collier. If I'm lucky, Brooksley will fall. I think that's possible, but I think I'll probably end up with Spencer Jones. So I I think um I don't know about I don't know if Lee's gonna fall. He's I think I think what drives Lee's value in in general, not not for me. I have my own sort of reasons for enjoying Brooksley. Um, my conservative nature just says like coach's kid and like <laughs> um like can play both positions on the uh, left side of the infield and like just does a little bit of everything but i think also um him being in double a already right like off the rookie year right. pushes a lot of value um oh, yeah. zach nato i think he went number 11 by the way mm-hmm. nato mm-hmm. went right after tamar johnson i think that pushes a ton of nato's value it's like yep lee lee made his appearance in double a by the end of last year and looked okay. Nito led them in the double a championships. Like he was their mm-hmm. best player. He showed out and I watched those games. Like he was dynamic throughout double a. And so I think a lot of people that um, maybe a lot may be overstating, but I think there's a fair number of people who may not be wild by Zach Nito's skill set, but the fact that he's the same, and I mean, he plays for the Angels, So like, it ain't like they have a shortstop that's going to be blocking him anytime. You know, it's like he can make his debut by the middle, like by summer of 2023 easily, you know, like, and I think depending on your um, team context, 
that's attractive to be like, I could draft a guy and he be in my starting lineup in, you know, three months time. So I think stuff like that uh, uh, drives it. I think the Spencer Jones thing, I kept telling people, I swore that I read an article that had a great breakdown of Spencer Jones and, and just some of the um, anxieties around somebody of his size and, and ability and like having success. I told people that I read this article and now I cannot find where I saw it. So I don't know if that was like a fever dream that I made it up. Um, yeah, that happens. Anti Spencer Jones bias manifested in my subconscious and created a fake article. I don't know because I can't find it now. But I will say whatever I read or thought that I read, it did scare me off of Jones to move him much further down than I had him because I did have him quite high and was thinking about him um, when I was gaming out the draft beforehand. I was thinking about him uh, at that number sixteen overall spot of like, oh. I, I kind of like what you were saying, like, oh, I, I'll probably be able to take him there. And then I moved him way down past rushing, past uh, Locklear and some some other guys, and it didn't matter anyway because obviously he was off the board at eight. Um, yeah, man, I mean, on one end, yeah, big lefty, big power, Yankee say it doom. It kind of writes itself. At the other side, it's like, do I trust that a guy that big as a lefty um, with – not bad splits, but not great splits against lefty already is going to continue. Like, again, conservative me, conservative Lamar says, I'll invest my draft capital elsewhere. Am I going to be mad at you if you, like you said, you, you know, you're taking them at, what did you say, you had number seven pick? Seven, yeah. yeah. That, that'll be the decision, yeah. Are you taking them at number seven? Am I mad at you? Mm, no, but like, just not for me. <laughs> It's not for me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think I'm looking at like guys that those kind of like the big guys that we've seen really. I, I think it's become more common now. Um, I think they were kind of you know the the weird kind of unknown for a while, but now we have guys like O'Neill Cruz and uh, Aaron Judge, even Corey Seager is really tall. Um, and so I think that like as as we get better and more knowledgeable about player health and um, man, what's the name for the science of like human movement? Like, is it kinesiology? kinesiology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, like, I think that's becoming a lot more popular. You see all the skeletons on uh, on Twitter and like the driveline videos, right? Like, I think we're just learning so much more about um, staying healthy and keeping guys healthy that yeah. it's not as much of a current concern for me. Um, and he's pretty athletic. I, I think Spencer Jones, he's still yeah. 10 bases. Yeah, he's still yeah. 10 bases in 22 games. Yeah, now um, to be fair, my concern is not actually health-based. My concern is 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 purely just thinking about the strike zone, like and being able to manage the strike zone of of that size. Um and and even more so now I don't know the I'm sure somebody has done some early research on this. Like I don't know the impact of of the automated strike zone has mm-hmm. on different player sizes. So I could see an argument saying that actually helps to kind of even the playing field because there is no more manipulation of the zone, right? There is no more, oh, because he's tall, I'm going to call the taller strike because that must be a strike because he's 6'7 versus a guy who's 6'2. So I can see an argument actually saying the automated strike zone helps the Spencer Jones and Aaron Judges and whatnot of the world. I, again, this is me speculating. I, I have no knowledge on this. I'm just, you know, thinking it through. Um, but also I can see on the other side that says, actually we will now have exactly what that strike zone is and we will see like in real time so to speak that that strike zone is just definitively larger than a guy who's 6162 and he has to manage that entire zone and pitchers know that now like it's not a guessing game they know this is the framework that we're doing so again we don't know or at least i don't know 
how the automated strike zone piece could to factor in. But that's what kind of scares me off of Jones is just like, yeah, he's athletic enough, health, everything that you just said, Jake, is like is very true. But it's just again, a lefty can he manage those splits in a positive way in that you know, with that strike zone. Um the everything else is there, the power is there, but again, right. I don't know, and and especially in the OBP league, like is he going to be able to drive above a three ten OBP? I don't know. Maybe, but I don't want to take. I didn't want to take the chance. And again, it was off. It was it was out of my hands anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> right, right. I'll, I'll be curious to hear, like when your draft comes up, what decision you end up making. Oh yeah, because I still, I still have to. I'll admit, I still have to look into it a little yeah. bit. These are kind of my the, my first initial thoughts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think I'll reach for Sack Neto. I love the idea, like you said, of him getting a double A and contributing. But then it's just like the whole. It's the constant conundrum right it's like do you go for the um the quicker impact yeah. or the higher ceiling yeah. you know Slower ceiling yeah right so i don't know we'll see we'll keep you updated I'll um, you know just to finish do. up here uh as far as the the draft my draft results so um 40th overall so now we're in the second round i took cade uh dowdy now i got mixed feedback on this one i heard some people that were like that's a reach like you probably could have waited um i wouldn't wouldn't take him that high and then I was talking to, well, I won't say who I was talking to because I didn't ask him if that was okay or not. I don't know. I, I don't want to out anybody um, without their permission. But I was talking to somebody on Twitter um, that is is pretty knowledgeable um, and, and pretty known. And I said, and again, not making one-to-one comparisons and also admitting that there is some latent bias because they both went to LSU. But I was like, am I crazy or is there some Alec Bregman in Dowdy's game? And this person said, I literally was having the same conversation with somebody and showed me Mm -hmm. their chat and was saying like, yes, they're like, you're not crazy. There is some similarity. And what I mean by that, just to to be clear is I don't think Dowdy's as athletic as Bregman um, because Bregman was shortstop that got moved to third. Um, Dowdy looks like more of a second baseman. Um, with just a, a strong arm, like a third baseman's arm, but more of a second baseman's uh, range. So not necessarily as athletic as Bregman. Definitely doesn't have the stolen base numbers that Bregman uh, had in college. But when you look at how they hit, the and that's what I was kind of focusing on is um, I was looking at, and, and again, I will admit some latent bias in this. I was looking at video of Dowdy at LSU, and I don't know what the um, – I don't know what the tournament was, but they were playing in a tournament that was at Minute Maid Park. So you're literally talking about in Houston, <laughs> watching him play. So I will admit all these latent biases that could have definitely factored into my brain. But I'm watching him at the plate and just his approach and the line drive swing that's able to to still power the ball out of the ballpark. Like the video I watched, and you can find this video on YouTube. It's not like uh, super secret, but um, he had some some good hits down the line. But he had one ball that he drove um, for a double that looked like it, it missed being a home run in the Crawford boxes by like maybe a, a couple feet. But just that swing, him being able to get everything super short to the ball, tight, and just power it all around without a whole lot of extra pieces. And I'm a fan of like simple mechanics because my thing is simple mechanics is like a simple machine. If a part breaks down, it's, it's much. it should be much easier to fix. Complex mechanics one thing breaks down, everything else breaks down, it becomes much harder to figure out, okay, how do I piece it all back together? So I like guys that are at the plate, quiet hands, quiet setup, simple to the ball, quick, and get to it. I don't need a whole lot of shaking, extra, I don't need all that extra stuff. Um, 
and Dowdy just had that. So maybe it's a reach. Maybe it's not. I don't know. He is second baseman. So, again, there's some value change there than if he was still um, solidly being able to be on the left side of the infield. But I, I see a guy that can get into teens for home runs easily. Um, in my league, total bases count as well. So I think he could be a big-time doubles hitter. Um, so even if he doesn't tap into crazy high power, I think he'll have enough, and I think he'll be able to be a doubles hitter. And I think OBP will, will be good enough. I don't necessarily think it'll be great, but I think it'll be good enough to float him. And I can see him being an everyday starter. So that's uh, that's K Dowdy. Um, just to finish up, and, and then whatever thoughts you can – uh, chip in Jake but um, I had three picks to finish up uh, my draft all in the third round so pick number 44 was J.R. Ritchie from Atlanta pick number 46 was Chandler Pollard um, for Texas that was my dart throw and I admitted that on Twitter if you don't know Chandler, uh, Chandler Pollard came out of high school um, he's just super athletic he's very thin and so but he has a frame he, I think he's like 6'2 maybe 6'3 he has a frame that you can easily see him being able to add 20 25 pounds no problem as he grows he's, he's like 18 years old now um but just really whippy swing super athletic he plays shortstop and the outfield um both you know rather well and so he could end up obviously being nothing it, it, the variance is is like the, the the variable outcomes are all over the map for him but um i'm a fan of in the third round if you have a five round fypd the third round for me is like that's where my dart throws start going i like to get a couple picks into the third round so i can get some somebody crazy like somebody where it's just like if things work out the value is going to be super high here and if it doesn't it doesn't hurt me too bad that i you know that i drafted him um and then last pick was back in atlanta um owen murphy so i grabbed both murphy and richie both of their um draft picks from this past uh round there were a lot of options that I went back and forth on. Uh, I thought about Tucker Toman. Uh, I forget. I, I actually had to, I had to put up a poll in another Discord server to like help me out because I was like, who do I take here? Um, but I ended up going with Murphy. So Richie, Pollard, Murphy, and that finished up my draft. Um, what are you thinking, Jake? Any Anybody that jumps out to you? Anybody that you're like, why did you draft this person? No, I don't think so. Like you said, once you get to that third round, you know, take your shots. Um, you know, the first two rounds, first like, um, you know, 24 to 30 picks, you know, those are kind of the more established guys that you know more info about. That's, you know, if you want, you can kind of tailor it more to your, you know, your league, your team and whatnot. But once you kind of get deeper, you get to the later draft picks, take your shots. Absolutely. You know, see if it works out. I absolutely support it. So, um, so yeah, I think it sounds good. So with that being said, um, you know, lessons that we learned, we talked through Spencer Jones and, and Termar dropping, talked about Zach Neto um, kind of being pushed up. Uh, the the two other big lessons uh, that I that I learned from my home league, and, you know, you take it from whatever, you know, you want, whatever grain of salt you want. Um, international guys, we just had a whole, you know, the first half of this pod, we just talked about international guys. First international player, well, single went number four. So to the Mets fan, single went to the Mets fan. Um, but the next, uh, let me take a look here. The next international signee was uh, Yoshida at number 17. And then we didn't have another international signee. And so so those are the two established guys, right? Like, they kind of are in their own different class, right? Sengen and Yoshida. So when we think about, like, J-15 guys, like the Celestines and, and Ethan uh, Salas and, and those guys, uh, those guys didn't get drafted until... I want to say the third round. I'm double checking right now. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Fuji went number 43. He's kind of in the class with Yoshida, though. Um, I'm sorry. Celestin went uh, number 32. So, I mean, the international guys were just, it was very sparse with, with them getting drafted. It was, it was few and far between. There was no real run on them. And I think that's right for this, this draft class. I think, I think a lot of people have kind of starting to back off of the international signees because of everything that we just talked about, the top part of this um, draft or top part of this pod. I think um, more and more people are like, you know what? I'll, I'll wait (laughs) and I'll wait and see um, if there's, uh, again, the Yoshidas and Singas, they're in their own class of how do we think about um, uh, South Korean and Japanese players uh, translating into Major League Baseball. They're kind of in that pipeline and that frame of history. But when we think about the teenage international signees, I think more and more people are like, I- I'll wait and-, and see how these guys work out versus running at them. Uh, and then the last thing was the-, the pitching. You know, we know there are a ton of pitchers that got hurt. Um, both from the high school and college ranks, and that really suppressed their value. So you're talking about, let me ask you this. Actually, I, I wanted to, to ask you a question. Um, who do you think was the first amateur pitcher to be drafted? And who and wh- what, when do you think that person was drafted? Like what? In uh, your so? FYPD? Yeah. Hmm. Let's see here. Um, Sorry, I know we didn't prepare it, for this, so I know. I'm uh, spot. I'll I'll go I'll go with not the I guess the highest ranked or the quote unquote obvious choice. I'll go with Cooper Jerby, and I'll say I'll say he went at uh, fourteen. Woo! Listen, we did not prepare this. We did not prepare this. <laughs> it was it was Cooper. Uh, was at number eighteen. All so right. you're you're really close. That's really good, Jake. I'm impressed. I could see people liking him. I like yeah. him. I mean, maybe that's why I said it. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I think I think there, and this is me speculating because I didn't talk to the manager, but I think there was just um the the floor is so high, right? Didn't have to deal with the injuries. I think the the arm slot is really fascinating for people. Um. Mm-hmm. I think he's in a, a team context that I think is is pretty helpful. I, I, St. Louis doesn't have a huge track record of developing pitchers recently because Libertor and some other guys are still kind of um figuring it out, but. Uh, better than most and I, I think um, his track record in college um, sort of speaks for itself so yeah it was uh, Cooper Yerpy is it Jerpy or Yerpy I should know how to I think it's Jerpy I think it's Jerpy um, yeah, number 18 so good good on you um, yeah that that's the other pieces like pitchers definitely were um, depressed as far as their their value so a couple things to keep in mind um, let's finish up because we're going long here so we want to talk about who we're higher on than most and who were lower on than most. I talked uh, through one of mine. Uh, Dalton Rushing is one of my higher on than most. Uh, and then I talked through Tamar Johnson being one of the players I'm lower on than most. Uh, Jake, who are you higher on than most out there? Yeah, let's see here. So uh, I'm looking at uh, my two guys are Ivan Melendez and Connor Prelip. Uh, they're both pretty late round picks. Um or not late round, I would say like third round picks. I think it's probably where they're going to end up. Um, but so like Ivan Melendez, I think it's a lot of, uh, not necessarily hate, but I think guys are kind of off of him just because he's one dimensional and he's a first baseman, which like I have no problem with. If you want to avoid bat first, first baseman, it's, you know, it's pretty common. It's, I could see the reasoning there, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I like what Melendez, like he hits the ball really hard. His, um, 
you know, his EVs are really good, uh, hits the ball in the air. He didn't have a fantastic debut, um, which obviously contributes to him kind of staying down around the, you know, mid to late 30s or maybe even in the 40s um, for FYP rankings. But um, I'm, that's what I'm willing to take a shot on in like the third or the fourth, uh, absolutely in the fourth if I can get him, um, especially since power is – I think it's it's it has become and it's going to continue to be at a premium in fantasy baseball because um, it, it, if you know, we don't know what Major League Baseball is ever going to do with these dang balls, like who knows? But the opposite field home run is pretty much dead as it is right now. And um, just like that threshold for power has completely changed. We're seeing a lot more like 15 to 20 homer guys than we are 20 to 25. Um and so I think the the kind of the landscape is changing a little bit there. And if I can get power um, late in an FYPD that has a pretty solid floor, I think I'm going to try to do that. Um, so, yeah, so I think I like Al- Ivan Melendez. Um, and then as far as Connor Prelip goes, you mentioned that a lot of pitchers have, um, you know, have been injured. And so a lot of them are kind of getting pushed down. Uh, he is like the poster child for that because when Prelip was making his debut at Alabama, we were talking about him potentially as like a first overall pick um, because I mean, he was, um, you know, huge in, in high school. He was the 2019 Gatorade player of the year in Wisconsin um, and drafted by the Red Sox in the 37th round. Uh, but he elected to go to university of Alabama. He was the first freshman pitcher since 2012 to get the opening day start for the Crimson Tide. Um, and then he didn't give up a run in his freshman year and 21 innings pitched. Um, I mean, it's not a huge sample size, right? But like he's pitching in the SEC. That's the best conference in college baseball. That's like the best competition you can pitch against. Um, and so, and he like, he shut him down. Um, he was fantastic. He won, he was first team all American national freshman player of the year. Um, and he led the SEC in whip opponents, batting average tied for third in strikeouts his freshman year. Um, so, and then it all came kind of crashing down, right? He had to get Tommy John, um, but he should be ready. He missed last year um, because of Tommy John, but he should be ready for for spring training. Um, and I think if you're looking at kind of taking a guy in, you know, the third with uh, as high of a ceiling as any pitcher in the draft, yeah, I think he's definitely the one because he's never been hit like anywhere he's pitched. Um, now he hasn't pitched professionally, and we'll see how long that lasts, right? But um, yeah, I think he he has a really high ceiling, and I'm definitely looking to pick him up. Uh, let's see, in that draft I was just talking about, I think I would have the 31st pick overall if I'm seventh. Yeah, so I think I if he's still there, I think I'm gonna probably take prelip there. Right, um, no, don't give away your whole draft strategy on on the podcast. Oh, they don't listen. Oh, well, that, we don't <laughs> like that. That's, that's no, I. I know, I know. I'll have to, we'll have to check that out. But no, I'll even if they do, I I trust them right now. Oh, okay. I, I got I got some backups. Okay. I got some backups. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, Melendez, I I uh, I don't disagree with you. Um, he went again. If we're just using uh, my draft as the sort of um, the 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 milestone here, um, he went number forty two. So yeah, right, yeah, right there, high, right. high third round. Um. Yeah, doesn't have the K rate, uh, at least not uh, through college, that I thought that he would have when I was doing, like, very early. Right. Um, he was, looking. I think, 18% in single yeah, A last year. Yeah, so yeah, 18.9. Yeah, I was surprised. Again, another big guy, large large strike zone to manage, uh, definitely known as a masher. I thought he would have had much higher K rate, didn't. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, the, the debut wasn't necessarily what you would like to see, but um, I know it was – 
not a huge number of uh, at bats. I don't think so. It'll be interesting 95, to see. 95, 95 so, plate appearances, or no, one hundred and six. What was I just looking at? One hundred and six plate appearances. One hundred and six plate appearances. So not not huge. Um, yeah. So you know, it, it'll be something to to continue to monitor. Um, prelib, I'll be honest, I'm less interested in than you seem to be, but you know, um, I also always admit that like i'm still learning about pitching and pitchers all the time especially when you talk about like amateur pitchers and how that translates so i you know i'm no expert in saying like oh connor prelip i'm not that high on that you can take that with a grain of salt folks like i'll freely admit that um my uh, but also with him i think i'm prepared to drop him like he's not someone that i'm like oh i'm gonna hold on to him forever especially mm. since i mentioned that i'm trying to contend mm. if he like because he hasn't pitched professionally i think the expectation has to be if he comes out and he's not showing you the kind of the things that you're expecting, like you have to be ready to, to drop him or, I mean, I don't know if you really trade him at that point, but um, you know, you got to know when you have the short leash because that, that, that dead roster spot um, can hurt you. And I think once you get like, we kind of been talking about take your shots in like the third, fourth, fifth round, I have no problem dropping those guys because yeah. um, there's so much, you know, you can probably get them back later. Right. Right. Um, right. There's no, like you're not shutting the door on them forever. You just got to be ready to move on. I think so. That's smart. Um, yeah. That's smart. Um, my other pitcher that I'm higher on uh, is Walter Ford uh, for Seattle. I was telling uh, Jake off mic that this was a guy that at least four of us, um, including the person that actually ended up drafting him, were like all interested in. We were like, oh, man, he he went. Oh, I was hoping that he would fall to this spot or I hoping he would fall to me here. Um, uh, young guy. And, I, and again, uh, forgive me for not having all the stats up, but um, coming out of uh, coming as a prep baller, um, just really I, what I liked was there's a little intangible. I, I like he's, he's got the whole um, like merch stuff going uh, with like, was it the, like ice, ice cream missile or whatever? Like he's got like that merch going, which is, I just think it's kind of funny. Um, but just, you know, when we, when we talk about what he can actually do, I think um, Seattle is starting to show some signs of life when it comes to picture development, obviously. And I think um, for Ford, He's got like a really nice whippy arm action. Um, he's a little bit projectable on on the body. He's not super tall. I think he's like six one, six two maybe. Um, so I don't think it, height is going to be a thing. Um, but I think he can afford to to add a little bit more strength on. Um, he's got a pitch mix that is interesting enough. I think it's just there's a there's a real like ball of clay feel to Walter Ford of like he could get developed into um a little bit of anything um because he has just a, about everything that you want he has a little bit of everything that you can kind of push the sliders so to speak like you know if he's a creative player you can kind of push the sliders all over the place to, to make something interesting so i think he has a um a high ceiling um and so he's just somebody that i would be interested in um taking maybe higher than where some rankings may have him high third round maybe even in second round depending and i know you know people and their pitching prospects and there are no such all that sort of stuff whatever um he's a guy that again just like you were talking about with prelip if you take a shot and the debut in, in 2023 doesn't look like amazing to start i think he's a guy that you might be able to afford to to you know drop and hope that he boomerangs back to you sometimes that doesn't work uh brandon Fight, I'm looking at you because that happened to me. I don't want to talk about it, but anyways, um, yeah, Walter Ford is a guy I'm higher than the most. Um, 
Elijah Green is a guy I'm lower than, on than most. It's not really the strikeout rate. Uh, I think most people, that's their detractor. Um, for me, it's just I'm not a big power over hit guy in the early rounds. I'm just not. Again, conservative nature. I figure I can find, like, Ivan Melendez can, could potentially hit 30 home runs just like Elijah Green is. I'm not saying he's a better player. He's obviously a lot more limited. But, like, Elijah Green, a lot of things have to go right in my mind for Elijah Green to hit that uh, that ceiling. And if I'm looking at a guy that has that very narrow path, I can find narrow path guys in the third round and drop them with no, you know, problem versus if I invest in Elijah Green, I can't really afford to drop him if the K rates do start to climb or if he's showing a propensity for more ground balls than I expected or things of that nature. So um, who's your, to finish up, who's your guy that you're lower on than most, Jake? Yeah, I think uh might be a bit of a cop-out, uh, but I'm going to go with Masataka Yoshida uh, just because he's going to be 29 in his first major league season. And so you kind of, you we like we know who he is. I don't think that there's a ton of ceiling there. We know that he is, um, you know, great contact hitter is probably going to lead off for the Red Sox, um, you know, but he doesn't really bring speed. Uh, pretty much all my dynasty leagues are no, actually two out of the three are roto. The other one's head to head, but um, I don't even, I don't think I'd be interested in him in the head to head either. Um, and so I think it's just because, you know, looking at who else is around him and what are the kind of upside that, that the other players bring, I think I'd rather have that upside, even though it's an immediate impact. Um, you know, it's not a profile that I'm going to go after too hard. Um, like if we're looking, uh, just for just so everyone knows here, so I'm looking at Chris Clegg's uh, FYPD rankings here um, and see who he has around Yoshida. He has him at 15. I would probably put him, I'd probably put him a little lower than that. Um, not to go against Clegg, who's like one of the smartest people in the industry, but it's just for me, it personally, I don't, I don't know if I would, I don't think I'm going to take him at 18 if he's available. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would take him at 31, even if he's available, just because I don't think it fits kind of what I'm looking for, you know? Um, yeah. But like, yeah, some of the guys who are around Yoshida, um, like rushing Drew Gilbert, um, Roman Anthony, I think I would probably rather have than Yoshida, even though he's, um, uh, pretty unproven. So, um, I think I'd really go with an upside pick if if he's going to be in like the late second round or early second round, even. Okay. Um. Yeah, I can't disagree, and and I may be making this one up too, and I apologize if I am, but I thought I had seen or heard that like they want him to lead off, but he doesn't want to lead off, or there was something mm-hmm. with the lineup like construction of like he doesn't want to do something that they want to do i don't know um but i overall i don't uh disagree i the the only place i might push back is like if i was doing this again or or looking at another fypd if he falls to 31 i might take him there like if he's falling into like the 30s and he's available i might be inclined to take him there just because like yes it's going to be a limited ceiling um but it is immediate uh and again depend it's probably going to be depending on my team context right if i'm looking right. to um compete that could he could be a piece that could really help me like jump jump start into that um or not jump start but to kick me over into um being a competitor versus dealing with a more upside younger player that's going to be more years but yeah if i'm in like a full rebuild or probably what mostly likely will happen in, in these um teams that i took over where i'm trying to like get everything in order uh yeah he's probably not somebody i'm gonna look to to grab because my team context is different 
Um, with that being said, I know we went long, guys, and thanks for sticking with us. But FYPD is obviously one of the most important parts of any sort of dynasty league. So we want to make sure we gave you all the goodness talking about international signees as well as um, what's happening with FYPD. Next episode uh, should be out February 8th, and that will be kind of wrapping up, talking about FYPD. Hopefully, uh, Jake, uh, I think you were saying that your at least one of your drafts will be happening by then. Um, I'll, if not, I'm going to lobby for it. There you go. There you go. Make it happen for the pod. Do it for the right. pod. Um, I will probably have at least one other draft um, that I'm in the midst of that I can kind of report back on what's going on there. Some of these leagues are kind of weird. So um, if it's not like a traditional dynasty situation, I don't talk about those because those are different rules. Uh, with that being said, let's wrap it up. Uh, articles to to publish or, or where you guys can find us. I know um, for me, I haven't written much yet and I'm getting back into writing mode. So you should start seeing more. Um, the Inside Fastball newsletter uh, has moved to Substack. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, review.com uh, or getreview.com um, has shut down. So that's where it was previously hosted. I've moved the um, subscriber list and the um, archives over to Substack so you can find all those old articles there. Jake, where can people read your stuff? Yeah, so I've been doing the the team prospect rankings articles for Pitcher List. We've been doing one um, one every day since uh, I think first week of January. Uh, so far, I've done the Red Sox, Reds, and Twins. And then on the 25th, I'll have the Giants coming out. And the 27th, I'll have the Cardinals coming out. Um, these are fantastic articles. Everyone's doing a great job with yeah. them. Um, and I think Pitcher List is really becoming a spot for for Dynasty analysis. We've really built out the team. We added Chris Clegg, who's a ma- massive, absolutely massive for um, for our team. So I've been really excited about those. They've all been really, really good. Um you know, so definitely keep looking out for those. Um, and then uh, also quick plug for Pitcher List in general. PitchCon begins January 25th, next Wednesday. Well, it'll be the day that this pod gets published. Listen, you'll get you'll get all sorts of Pitcher List goodness. PitchCon on 25th, yeah. Jake Mace's, uh Giants Top 15 on 25th, plus this podcast yeah. all on 25th. Circled January 25th. Well, I guess by the time you guys I guess you're there so now, yeah. Happen. But yeah, make it happen. January 25th. PitchCon. There you go. And it goes to the 28th PitchCon. So, and all funds this year go to the ALS Foundation. Um, raising money for that, fantastic. As we know, you know, Sarah Langs, who's really just fantastic in the in the baseball industry, is a writer um, and journalist. Uh, you know, everyone's really rallying behind her. And um, the fact that we get to kind of raise all this money for the ALS Foundation, I think, is really special for everyone in the community. So, uh, definitely come check it out. There's I think over 70 speakers. I mean, everyone that you could like everyone that you love um, is coming to coming to talk with picture list. So uh, make sure to mark that on your calendars, you know, look out for the schedules and whatnot, get the, get those, uh, those panels that you want to listen to and, and make sure to tune in. Perfect. And as always want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our picture list pods on the picture list network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of picture list for you to find, listen and subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at inside fastball, capital I capital F. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake nation M A I S H. Perfect. Hope you all enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>